0: Hello, hello, hello! It is Wednesday, April eighth. Wednesday the eight. I, am. I am Dr. Adrian.
1: I'm Dr. Maria,
0: and we are Nola Ed Education for Liberation. and we are happy to be here. Uh, still practicing um, social distancing. So we are pre-recording the show on Wednesday, um, just a couple hours before the show is supposed to actually air. So you are getting live content um, and we are, uh, you know, hoping to, that the curve will start to flatten. It doesn't look like it um, nationally, although California is doing pretty well, but we, um, so we're here doing what we do and. Uh we have a lot to talk about a lot of uh a lot of stuff has um has happened over the last 7 days it seems like every you know I'm glued to my um to my news feed and um on Twitter constantly and watching the news the national news the local news I'm on the internet trying to keep up with news in other places so uh how are you doing I'm Not trying to, you. to live okay. yo I'm trying to
1: live. That's all I'm trying to do. I feel like right. I'm the aria from the Hamilton musical where Hamilton's wife is like, just stay alive. And like she holds that high C for like a minute and a half.
0: Like, just stay alive. You know, for like a solid minute. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, that's what it feels like from day to day. I mean, I, I have a allergy problem. So I was sneezing. And I was like, "Oh my god!" And then, you know, I looked at the pollen count, and the pollen count was like ten. So I was like, "Okay, all right." So, okay, um, but just uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a day to day kind of situation. Um, mm-hmm. We got a lot to talk about today. Um, as I said, a lot of developments. Um, One interesting thing that I want to, um, kind of talk about, we're going to, um, so the funding, the CARES Act was finally passed. Yep. And one of the pieces of the CARES Act was, uh, small SBA loans, um, for small businesses. And the charter school lobby is very strong and apparently very influential. And they were able to lobby for charter schools to, um, be eligible that charter management organizations would be eligible for SBA funding. It's on a first come, first serve basis, uh, but there are funds set aside um, for uh, charter schools, and that has caused quite a stir. Uh, There is a show that airs um, on Mondays on WBOK that's a paid program. And so in full disclosure, our program is a paid program. It's paid by a grant um, to promote um, engagement between academics and um, a lay public to inform education research. So I and you don't draw a salary from... um, from the grant, and we don't have anything to sell, so our our work is funded as a scholarly project by mm-hmm. a um, by a, a foundation that funds um, actually education research, the Spencer Foundation. Um, and some funding from my university, University of um, Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So, um, so our show is paid, but it's a slightly different than the show that airs on Monday. Where they, um, it is a nonprofit organization that has um, that funds the new, new schools for New Orleans on Mondays at twelve thirty. Uh, they will be uh, airing their show for the next um, quarter, for this quarter. Um, And so we um, have some critiques. I have some intellectual and scholarly differences of opinion um, with uh, the work that NSNO um, has done over the last uh, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, a number of critics have pointed out that the show is paid for, and I I wanted to to clarify in full disclosure that our show is also um, sponsored, but not sponsored individually and or by a particular set of donors. It is sponsored by um, a grant funding. Right. Um, and, and just to, so, yeah, to
1: okay. kind of clarify, it's kind of the equivalent of um, let's say that you are watching a show about puppies, right? And this is a show that our show, NOLA Education for Liberation, Um, would be the equivalent of two people who are super into puppies who have (laughs) experience raising puppies who have experience professionally you know doing dog training working as vets whatever um, getting funded by an organization that just cares a lot about puppies you know just we're just in it for the puppies okay then this other show is the equivalent of people who might also care some about puppies but are also pushing for all puppies to go through their obedience school. See?
0: That's a good way to put it. Okay.
1: And by and the reason like I hesitated like midway through this analogy cuz I was like, "Hmm, am I making black children equivalent oh. to to puppies?" Oh, yeah, that's a good and point. I was like, "That's gross and icky." But then I was like, "No, but it'll end really satisfyingly on the obedience school thing." Right. So, that's so I don't love it, but I really wanted to get to the obedience school part because like the thing with the charter schools in New Orleans is that they're not preparing our youth for um, the kind of innovative, critical thinking based jobs that are associated with the 21st century. In my opinion, it's very similar to how in D.C., the charter school movement isn't preparing students to have jobs in D.C. You know what I mean? Um, Because for... D.C. in particular, uh, one of the things that came out of the Double the Numbers campaign was that um, 11 out of 12 jobs, and I'll po- post the exact statistics if anybody's interested um, on our Facebook page, but 11 out of 12 jobs required a bachelor's degree. Um, but at the time that this research was conducted, um, less than seven out of every 10 D.C. high school students was going to graduate with a with a high school diploma. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, it was a ba- it was a bad moment in DC educational history. But what I'm saying though is that like when you look at how we approach um how we approach our educational systems and one of the reasons why, you know, black educators who are committed to black youth have a problem with the charter school system, it's not just about undermining teachers as workers, it's not just about undermining student rights. It's also the very concrete concern of whether or not students are going to be prepared for a modern work life, or are they just getting structured and structured and structured into the carceral system? Yeah, or into service work. And there is nothing wrong with doing service work, but your teacher shouldn't be going into your child's classroom with the assumption that that's going to be what your kid is going to do, mm-hmm. and that that they're you know just trying to introduce like a little bit of light into you know. Uh, a classroom that's going to be defined by what the students aren't going to do and what they can't do.
0: Yeah. And so we we lay out that context because it's important because we are going to level a critique. <laughs> right. Right. Um, that um, there, so SBA, this, the Small Business Association, has set aside money through the CARES Act because of the lobbying of the um, I think it's the National Charter School Association. I'll check on the actual lobbying group. I read the article. I've been reading so much on this. Um, set aside $10 million for charter schools to apply for these um, SBA loans that are so a, a part of the CARES Act. So there's money set aside for small businesses to get a, um, uh, I think it's a zero interest rate loan. Um, that they won't have to pay back if they can show that they actually paid their um, employees and took care of mortgages and whatnot. Uh, 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 $10 million of that money that was allocated for the SBA loans was set aside for charter schools. It is on a first-come, first-served basis, so it's charter schools across the country, so um, uh, they're competing for that money. Our critique with that is, one, that charter schools have always maintained that they are just like traditional public schools. Mm -hmm. And so if they're just like traditional public schools, the access to the small business loans only for them kind of um, calls that into question, right? Um, Because traditional public schools are not a part of this. uh, They don't have access to those funds. So that's one issue. Um, but at the very premise of my critique is that charter schools um, and even public schools shouldn't have access to small business loan, um, small business loan funding. Yeah, it's not a business. That's for small businesses, local small businesses um, that are struggling, that may employ. So in a place like New Orleans, which it seems to me, this is where where it's unconscionable and egregious for a place like New Schools for New Orleans and the charter school um uh, apparatus in Louisiana to advocate for these funds is that in, in place in a place like New Orleans in particular, there are a lot of very small businesses, um, corner stores that employ people to cook um, food or have or who may be just the, um, the only cashier. Um, there are a lot of small restaurants. Um, in the city that are women owned, um, own, many owned by black women, um, small family businesses, family restaurants. Um, so this, uh, th- this $10 million that was allocated or set aside, set aside for charter schools is $10 million that t- th- there the fund has, is, is, uh, has $10 million is fewer $10 million dollars. Um, uh to um, allocate for small businesses. Um, And again, this this 10 million isn't reserved for Louisiana or New Orleans. It's it's competitive. So Mm -hmm. schools, charter schools across the country will have to compete for it. But um, because New Orleans is an all charter system, every school in our system, which is uh, over 50 schools, Well, not that many charter management organizations, but they all have access to that funding if they can get the money in. Now, there's another qualifier that I want to say that's important. Um, uh, uh, Charter management organizations that have multiple schools, um, and there are several, um, are at a bigger advantage in terms of their financial health just overall. Some, like the KIPP schools, have a mothership. Um, They are um, they are essentially they operate almost as as a federation. Um, So they're responsible locally to raise their own money and all of that. Um, But it's different than a single site charter school. And we have several um, that that are that are strapped um, uh, for for funding and rely um, almost exclusively on the MFP, which is what uh, traditional public schools do. So uh you know my personal critique is that charter schools one are not all created equal equally certainly in the city of New Orleans um but they also have several at bats that um that traditional public schools don't have now that's not the case necessarily in New Orleans um but the access to these funds seems to be um uh, again an unfair um not advantage, I hate to use the word advantage, but it is in some ways because it's so polarizing, the discourse around charter schools versus traditional, um, of which, you know, I, I am, uh, I contribute at times. Um, I certainly have my critiques um, uh, because we tend to talk about charters as if they are better than publics. Um, and so that's where my critique comes in. But um, but at any rate, um, the philanthropic monies that are almost exclusively for charter schools um in addition to the traditional routes of funding that that charter schools get just by virtue of being a quote-unquote public school but now they have kind of set set themselves up as i think um have weakened their argument that they are like traditional public schools because they have gone after um this uh, small business loan money mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i think that that's again important to keep in mind because um That means they have a. If they if they have to show um, metrics of success, if they're being upfront that they consider themselves um, a business, then that really makes it very nakedly clear that they have a financial stake in what types of students they success say they accept. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. So if their metric of success that they use to justify receiving small business grants is that they move. Um, a certain population of students towards graduation, they're going to have a financial stake and not accepting students that they don't view as sound investments.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so it's, it's rot um, with a lot of contradictions for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the show that aired on Monday now those folks who listen to this show could say we are overly quote unquote negative. I don't think we're negative. I think we're critical. And I think that's healthy. Um, and I, I take that posture as an academic, that the role of the academic is not to sing the praises necessarily, but to offer a um, a informed critique based on um, scholarly knowledge and an intellectual kind of um, perspective on um, particularly in this area around ed education, on what is you know promulgated as "quote unquote" working, um, and um, for whom? So, um, so we are. Uh, so the show that aired on Monday, uh, it's a half hour show. Um, it my, from my perspective was a state sanctioned. It was a paid for, you know, it was a, it was a commercial. So it wasn't offering necessarily important, um, important public information. It celebrated charter schools, which is really interesting when you think about kind of the, the, the situation that we're in and the overall, the overwhelming desire, it it appears that, um, the folks are committed to this kind of, Celebr- celebrating our wins or making sure that, you know, so there's there's this piece about mental health and, you know, people are being preoccupied, you know, being cooped up and um, prone to feeling disconnected. But there's also this, uh, saw, I saw a lot of videos of teachers, or not even teachers, school leaders doing dance, um, TikToks, dancing. Um, and I just wonder what is the uh, it, I don't, I, not that I wonder, I'd actually don't see the value in that. And so again, it seems to be promoting this idea that charter schools are wonderful mm-hmm. and we're great. And, um, and uh, it's a false sense. It's a false um, narrative about um, success and um, happiness and so on and so forth when people are suffering. So for a lot of the, you know, the students uh, who are uh who attend these schools, their parents are often on the front line um, if they weren't wholly laid off from work. So, um, you know, we're advantaged because we're able to stay home um, and still get paid um, for many of our students. Um, if they don't work, if their parents don't work, then they're not getting um, income in the house. And so it's, you know, it's kind of struggle. It's a, it's a big struggle for them. Um, and so I just um, have some You know, concerns about the way that uh, time is used to um, pacify people um, as opposed to really inform them critically about the state of affairs. And also, this particular group, which I think is interesting, is also asking for donations to buy Chromebooks and Wi Fi hotspots um, for families um, in a a federation of, it's a, a, a system of schools where um, school leaders make $300,000 um, and they have um, they have uh, car allowances and professional funds to travel that it, uh, I have a hard time understanding how you ask for donations and that's not equitable across the system. So the single site schools, certainly those, um, those principles. And then there's a the CEO because you have to have a structure and a superstructure, which is a strain financially on the system. Um, uh, that when you have the superstructure and the salaries are, um, uneven across the superstructure, then asking the public to also donate so that you can buy the basic essentials for students seems to be hip- hypocritical to me. It's
1: hypocritical. Um, and it also, I think that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong about this. Um, my understanding is that while teachers who work at charter schools make – my understanding is that they sometimes make a little bit more than teachers who work at public schools. But that when you look at their actual salaries and, like, the amount of stuff that they're still expected to provide for their classroom um, and the gap, the the pay gap between what the teachers make and what the administrators make, like, it's, it's really – A mind, like I don't want to curse, but it's like kind of mind bendy. You
0: know what I mean? Yeah. And I should say that that's not consistent across systems. Um, So, um, a number, uh, at least in New Orleans, and this may be the practice across the country, is that some charter management organizations are not transparent about salaries. And so uh, teachers can negotiate their own salary. Um, and that certainly was a case at I think at Ben Franklin where teachers uh, unionized because there there was a lack of transparency around salary and then how one would get raises um, what uh, how you would qualify for a raise what you had to do to get a raise um, what your incoming salary was what what content areas were more um, were um more in demand. And so they could draw a higher salary, what credential levels there just wasn't, there was a lack of transparency and consistency. And, um, early on, I don't know if this is still the practice, but teachers had to sign confidentiality agreements. That's still a thing. thing. Yeah. Um, so so we don't know what the salaries are. Yeah. Not only do you
1: have to sign a confidentiality agreement, um, but in my observation, um, when I when I, um, you know, speak to my colleagues who are working at charter schools now, um, they, there's a lot of hesitancy to talk about unionizing or labor rights issues.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So I don't know if that's part of the contract or what. I just, it just seems like it's something that's top down discouraged.
0: Yeah, and it was, seems like it would be illegal too. They can't make you sign a contract saying you won't join a union. That is. Um, That's union busting. That's union busting. But if if you Google um, some of the charter
1: schools in New Orleans and you Google the name of that school union, you'll see that there are some union busting law firms that specifically advertise their success with that charter school federation. Yeah, I sent you some of the, I mean, you know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I sent you the articles about it um, because it was astonishing. You know what I mean? It is astonishing. like I, it th- is I astonishing. Would feel ashamed in my soul if that was something my school was mm-hmm. known for.
0: Yeah, um, and and so in that climate, that's you know that's the. Uh, I was just talking to students about context. Yeah, um, I teach a class on Monday nights on researching race and education, and one of my students um, is uh, an economist and was was saying that she. She didn't really understand you know that we have to do more than tell stories, and that uh you know we need to be more empirical and so we i you know I pushed a little bit on what's what counts as being in, what 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 is empiricism and what counts as being empirical knowledge um and that uh for the work that I do, context is incredibly important, so on the surface, if we just saw that new schools for New Orleans is an organization that just provides. Information mm-hmm. to charter schools, um, and we didn't understand the context within which teachers work, and the con and the conditions under which teachers work, and children um, have to go to school. Right. That information would seem benign if we didn't understand that there is such a disparity across um, salaries for educators, um, even benefits for educators, salaries for Principals, who they now call well, principals, I guess they call them school leaders, and then there are CEOs, because even single site charter schools have a CEO because again, there's the structure and there's a superstructure right. that the when when one is fundraising for these schools, you have to ask, well, what money is actually going to kids if an organization like NSNO, which which is an intermediary, it acts as a a go-between between a kind of um whatever the structure is that supports charter schools and the education platform and local um, schools, it's an intermediary. If they are asking donations for the basic materials that, that kids need, mm-hmm. what, what, what is the money going to? And then we hear that there are some charter management organizations where school leaders and CEOs because the school leader is the principal, the CEO is the person who runs the charter manager. They're making three hundred some thousand dollars. Uh, they have this person or whoever it is, uh, and this is not a single one because there are several that are that are like this. It's unconscionable then that you would ask for donations for um, for uh, for hotspots and Chromebooks that conceivably would be distributed across all schools. There are single site schools that, that where the the principal is not making, maybe they're making 85. The CEO might be making a hundred thousand dollars. And still they don't have the funding to provide. They may not have the funding to provide Chromebooks and hotspots for all of their students, um, so it will the distribution be socialist in the sense that if you are a single site school, you'll get more versus a school like uh, uh, the KIPP schools or the first line or the um, the um, Collegiate Academy um, that have multiple sites um, and a mothership um, or a headquarters, if you will, um, that they won't get the same thing. Um, and that that's not. Clear yet, and they're not and and the the it the what's really interesting is that on this the show they weren't transparent about how the um, materials will be distributed, which if I'm donating right. I want to know right right, so again, you can claim that you are on one hand you're public but you also are private or pseudo private. Um, that that transparency is um, is the problem. And these intermediaries, because they are, you know, they are the um, they are the intermediary and they're the 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 place where materials and information funnels. Then in some senses, our charter schools or charter management organizations not accountable to the public because we got the money from NSNO, ask them. Yeah. And Not only
1: are they not accountable to the public, but they're not accountable to the public in the same way. That um, if there was a privately owned business that received public funding, like I don't, I can't just look up the the private documentation for you know a military contractor. You know what I mean? Like I like because they're right. a business, yeah. so I can look and see whether like it might be publicly available whether or not they fulfilled the auspices of the grant. That information would probably be publicly available via the grants website like if you did a freedom of information act uh request for that but um you can't do a FOA for a privately owned business and that's to me that's a big deal so like for those of you listening at home um, a FOA request is basically um you being able to contact a government institution um to find out um information related to a time period an incident a particular person so like if you wanted to do a follow request for my emails please don't <laughs> but i mean you know what i say please don't because i thought i was being funny but if you wanted to you could i'm a public employee you know what i mean and right. it's your right as a parent as a citizen of the school district as whatever to see what i'm saying about your student you know what i mean like you have that right as their parent um However, you can't do a FOA for a charter school. At least as far as I know, you can't. Yeah. 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 It's and that um, should that should uh, that should outrage you. You know what I mean? It should outrage it you should. to not like in the same way that there's some incidences of say academic racism or Um, You know, students who complain about there being like a culture of sexism or misogyny at their high institutions of higher education, where part of the proof that they needed for that was being able to do a forward request for an administrator's emails so that they could see how that administrator was talking about students of color or about female students. You know what I mean? You can't do that with a charter school in the Hmm. same way.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the that's the crux of the problem is that there isn't this about transparency in public education, um, the uh, the funding challenges relative to traditional schools versus charter schools in a climate like New Orleans and in a context of COVID nineteen, where arguably. Um, there will be some challenges. You know what's interesting is that um, you know schools going after this SBA loan. The other it, the other thing that's problematic for me for charter schools getting this SBA money is because they don't need it because the school the the money for the school year has already been allotted. Yep. So it's not like they've lost the money. That they money. Haven't is, lo- they haven't lost the money.
1: They haven't lost the money. And the thing is, is like. The thing is, is that, um, is that when you go for this extra pot of money and you designate it as being a material good that you're going for, um, the question then becomes, like, is this, does the laptop belong to the school or does it belong to the student? And the reason that that matters is because there's some privacy concerns that come up with it yeah. in terms of that Wi-Fi hotspot. So, like, is it able to be tracked or monitored? Yeah. What permissions does the student have to give? Um, so, like, there are some charter schools... Um, in the Maryland area where um, where they have the ability to turn on the camera and the mic um, even if the student isn't on school ground yeah. um, and do like automated recording in that way. And that's yeah. been how they've penalized students for outside of school time activities. Um, that's crazy. It is crazy. And it's also, it's again, like it's the same kind of privacy issue that, that, I don't think people necessarily realized was going to be an issue. Um, so so um, I know that there are some of you who are probably listening and are like, well, if my son or daughter is doing something that's a violation of their school code of conduct outside of school, what does it matter that they get in trouble for? Um, like, it's, doesn't that make sense? Like, isn't that what my school is supposed to do? Um, I want you to think of back to Halloween to when you were taking your child trick or treating. And I want you to think about the amount of times your face was recorded and your habits of movement were recorded by ring doorbells. Um, and the, what that does is it records who's in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? And it mm-hmm. also records uh, who they're around and it participates in facial recognition software in terms of identifying, um, you know, particular people who might be under state surveillance. You know what I mean? So like on the one hand... Um, There's this very concrete violation of privacy, like should schools, should administrators be able to listen and eavesdrop in on um, students' lives? But then there's also the issue of whether or not the school has the right to do that with children that might not be their students. Yeah. You know, children might not be their students, children who may or may not be American citizens, uh, parents or friends of adults, like friends of the parent or guardian um, who are in the room talking about whatever, like does the school, does that administrator have the right to have access to that information? And it's not whether or not yeah. they turn on the mic. Like, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that there's some evil principal out there at a charter school. Who's just laughing maniacally as they listen in on what some seventh grader is telling her friend from the outside the school district school. You <laughs> know, there's that's not, That's probably not happening, but right. it's whether or not they should have the power to do so like I don't want to have to rely on yeah. my life being so boring that someone wouldn't eavesdrop on me. Yeah. Because they
0: shouldn't have the power to do so in
1: the first place.
0: In the first place. And that's the issue, right? That's mm-hmm. the issue and we haven't hired ironed all that stuff out. But the other I mean just again Maria at the at the at the very kind of foundation of all is this, is the the school this is extra money. mm mm-hmm. Mhm that they don't necessarily need that that is taken away from small businesses that could actually use the use the funding. So and small businesses, interestingly enough, are businesses that have under 500 employees. Right. Right. So um, and when we think, again, for the context of New Orleans and why this is, I think, particularly egregious for charter schools in New Orleans is that um, we are a city full of small business folk. Um, so, you know, the, um, I, I think there, there was a separate lobby for the gig economy folks, so I don't know where they fall in. Yeah. There,
1: my understanding is that, uh, Uber, Lyft and Airbnb were looking for a separate set of funding, um, to ameliorate their costs of paying back the deposits, um, for people who canceled trips or, you know stuff like that um and that Airbnb in particular was getting a lot of pushback from its hosts because uh they hadn't initially planned on advocating for funding that would make up the hosts loss income so Airbnb initially was looking to get money to compensate them for having to pay out the cancellation deposits for people who had made plans to have a trip but were no longer going to take the trip so like you would get your deposit back, but that money had already been spent. So they needed to get more money to fix up the money that they had actually already spent, which is also shady already because the whole point of me giving you a deposit, if you were my landlord, you would have been supposed to put that in a specific kind of bank account. You know what I mean? Like if you were my landlord and I was renting an apartment and I gave you my deposit, you're not supposed to touch my deposit unless there's an issue with my housing. So that's already weird that they're calling that a deposit. You know what I mean? Um, but they had basically already spent out that money. Um, so they were trying to get their customers happy. So then the hosts, who some of whom have been, you know, it, we've been laughing about it, but some of them have been really struggling because they bought up multiple, mm-hmm. multiple residences in cities like yeah. and San Francisco with the belief yeah. that they were going to be able to turn a profit. Now those mortgage payments are coming due. They don't have anyone yeah. booked and they've been going to Airbnb saying, how are you going to make up my lost income?
0: And which is insane, right? Because they went to Airbnb, which is interesting. So why is the expectation that Airbnb would do anything unless it did they get the loan from Airbnb? I would say, OK, um, well, Uber
1: does. I don't I don't know as much about Airbnb as I do about Uber. Um, and only because I've had friends who have driven for Uber. So Uber will um, co-sign please a loan. Please. Yeah, they'll lease you a car. So I could understand, like, if you're an Uber driver, like going to Uber and being like, I'm not getting as much custom as I normally would get.
0: You know, what can we do about my lease? Yeah. You know, or what but can we you do about your my car? car from Uber. But yeah. for the Airbnb people, and full disclosure, I have airbnb in my house, uh, my room out, uh, a room out in my house. Yeah. Um, at various times. Um, but I am a homeowner and I have the homestead exemption. And so I only do a room in the house. Um, I don't do a whole home rental. Um, but, um, it, it's a room in my house. It's not my entire house. Um, so I think there are, yeah, there are some challenges, but, but the point is, is that in a place like New Orleans where there are a lot of small businesses, cause you have a lot, I mean, the, the beauty of, and the kind of, um, the whole New Orleans metro area, I think that the what is um, attracts people and what keeps people coming back is that you can find these small shops. So there's a mm-hmm. there's a place where I like to get um, herbs and spices and teas. Um, and it's a little you know, it's a little shop in the Treme. Um, there's a place where I like to go get my po'boys. Um, I'm sure they have under 500 employees. Mm-hmm. Um and these are, you know, family businesses. There are uh, places where I like to go and get um, my nails done. And, you know, there are all these little um, uh, places that we you, that you patronize that are uh, would could use the money and um, don't have a state fund kind of reserve already. Um, allotted for them. So um, schools have already received their funding um, and that's not in peril. So it's, um, it's I, again, I, I have a, I take issue with this stockpiling of, of funding and, and what would have made more sense to me is for the charter group to lobby on behalf of all public schools Mm -hmm. for funding for materials. So, you know, there isn't a infrastructure, a a robust infrastructure for the entire country to go into online or virtual um, teaching, virtual online platforms um, for teaching and learning. So why not lobby for those kinds of supports from the Department of Education? Like that makes more sense to me or the treasury department, yes, kicking some dollars over <laughs> for mm-hmm. that but the SBA loans that are just for and this is the kind of again the it feeds into the acrimony uh, the the discourse the kind of um, just the the polarizing of our uh, education community when you have folks who are just lobbying, for themselves, But that's that's kind of capitalism. And so they're firmly entrenched in the kind of capitalist um, um, apparatus. Uh, and it's a reflection of that, which is, you know, again, problematic.
1: And it's also um, the other thing that I find incredibly frustrating about this is with public schools, you constantly have to justify why something is a need. Yeah. So, like, um, I will say. I've spent the last couple of days um, calling my students alphabetically. And I'm probably what's gonna happen when I get to the, um, I started with my fifth period. When I get to my second period, which is my earliest class, I'm probably gonna start with my fifth period again because I have 120 students and it's gonna take me about two weeks to cycle through my list once. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, consistently, the thing that students have expressed a need for has not been Wi Fi hotspots. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so, so I but it's also like I, I feel like one of the things that's fascinating to me about somebody who's as somebody who's worked both as a public school teacher now and done um, outside of school time stuff is that no one hesitates when you're like, oh, these poor black kids, these poor brown kids, they really need laptops. No one pauses like people just pop out their checkbook. But when you're saying something like like for Lifting Voices, which was the nonprofit I worked with and did the curriculum development for in D.C., um, what students need is one-on-one time with someone to do creative writing activity in order to improve their literacy. You know, people yeah. get very much like, what's the metric for success? How will you know that they can do better? <laughs> you know, like, uh, do they really need someone one-on-one? Um, is there no way that we could just have a college student do that? Why does it need to be somebody right. who's certified right. 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 as an expert and teaching literacy and ELL? Yeah. Why do we, need, what, what, what? Um, And I feel like it goes back to a conversation we were having a couple months ago about this fixation on technology and education. Yeah. I am not convinced like, and I'm saying this, like I've been looking at some of the stuff the new Orleans public school system has been doing. And some of it's been hella heck of smart. Like, um, they have a code now where if you're a New Orleans public school student and you need transportation to a New Orleans public school site that is um, doing the free lunches or working with Second Harvest to provide groceries to families in need, you can use a Lyft code. Mm-hmm. That's genius. That's a great application of that grant money. You know what I mean? Not convinced that they need Wi Fi, especially because if it's a student who has access to a smartphone, which a lot of the students do then they can access Wi-Fi through their phones. Now, not every student does. I told you last week about my particular student who um, they're sharing one cell phone with internet access, yeah. with like four or five kids at their household. Yeah. But again, the need that that particular parent expressed was not for another cell phone or for Wi-Fi access. It was for a photocopy of the documents. See? So no. I'm not... Convinced that, however much money they got from the grant, it seems to be like big and splashy, but not effective.
0: Well, if they were even, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Like, did you call your well, students and ask what they needed? Do they have electricity? So, like, there's Marietta. just a
0: lot of questions here, man.
1: Yeah, Are they in, a spot, in a site where a hotspot is going to work, because you can't just show up anywhere with a Wi-Fi hotspot. No.
0: Nah. And I mean but it all ties into the other piece that we were talking about I think a couple weeks ago it might have been last week you know all these weeks flowing together but the notion of accountability so yeah. we can't because I think for I I was hearing from teachers um that they had to were essentially tethered to their computers so the the range of responsibility that people had to be accessible right. um was uh fascinating and there was no there's no kind of consistency so it really is whatever this particular charter management group decided would be would quote unquote make sure that you were accountable um so you might be have to log in and you're logged in all day long um or you're logged into the computer from eight to three Mm -hmm. because there's this belief that people won't do what they need to do unless you're constantly monitoring them um and what we know from just how people learn is that people will learn at the pace at which they are comfortable and when they're able to do so. So, you know, just transitioning to being home all day, it sounds great, but it is a transition, right? You have different routines. Psychologically you have to think differently about being in the space and where are you going to work and how do you tune this out? And um, how do you not uh, wash dishes constantly or, um talk to make yourself available for people that you aren't normally available to, because now you're home all the time. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you are a kid and a parent, again, it's, you know, how much, how do you balance home responsibilities with school responsibilities? And if there are multiple, where do you multiple children, where you, you know, where do you time find the time to do all of that across multiple grade levels? Right. So we think about families, who may have a first grader, a fifth grader, an eighth grader. Well, it's not like all of them are working on the same thing at the same time. And so parents have to pivot constantly um, to adjust for whatever, you know, their children are learning um, across these different grade levels. So um, the notion of accountability, you know.
1: Why do we why, why do we, to me, this goes back to the idea of policing the educational practices of oh, students yeah. of color in particular. So what I question here is why do we have this sense of mistrust for yeah, students of, of color, color in particular yeah. that they're in their, their work and their families?
0: And teachers, because to be honest, we don't believe that teachers will do, you know, the work, hence the some of the charter management groups that had um teachers logged into their computer. All day long Mm -hmm. um, uh, on in Google meetings or Zoom meetings or whatever other format they were on because you don't trust that you don't want. I guess I'm assuming that people didn't want them to think this was a vacation or that the public, you know, because there's some of this is also not just by the employer, but also the public that people are vacationing, you know, and not working.
1: We ask, uh, or processing trauma. Like, I, I feel like um, there's been a lot of discussion online about recognizing that this is a moment of national trauma, that there's a lot of anxiety in the air, and that self-care is important. I find it really disturbing in a lot of ways that um, that feeling of compassion disappears um, when we talk about teenagers, tweens, and children, because... You know, there's just this conviction that you still got to be hard on them. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm 37. Um, I have the emotional bandwidth, you know, to understand that this isn't a permanent reality. You know what I mean? Um, that we are, as a country, we're going to be okay. You know, most of us, anyway. Um, and that next year is not going to be like this year. If I'm seventh. I don't have you that, don't
0: know that. Of knowledge. Yeah, you don't have that personal history. Yeah.
1: So why why do I want to take a traumatized child and accuse them of lying about doing their math homework? <laughs> like, why am I like, and why are you like most people who go into teaching? Because it is a thankless job. Like, and actually, you know what? It's not. I've gotten so many thank yous from parents this week, um, and, in a way that's been really. Really awesome for me. Like you do, sometimes feel like it's a thankless job, but you know, my my parents have been really, really kind and appreciative when I've called and checked in on them. So it actually this week, surprisingly, has been a really good week to be a teacher for me. The parents um, of the kids that you teach, yeah, the parents of the kids that I teach. So like I've like I said, I've been going through and trying to call as many of my kids as I can to you know make sure they're okay and. Mm-hmm. You know, the parents, this is I think that since a lot of the time you you only end up talking to parents when the kid has done something wrong. Um, it's just been mm-hmm. nice to just be like, I just want to make sure they're OK and just hear them be like, oh, they really like your class. You're so awesome. Um, but if if you're somebody like me who comes from a family of teachers, every job I've had has involved education in some way or another. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into this gig because I really want to make a first grader or a seventh grader or a tenth grader cry because right. their Mima has COVID-19 and they didn't right. finish their social studies homework. <laughs> like that yeah. was that was not my jam, y'all. Yeah. Like yeah. why why are we doing this? What's going yeah.
0: on? Yeah. No, that's real. That and, and yeah, so the the notion of accountability, accountability and, and I think you nailed it. It's this is about policing, as uh, Dorothy Roberts would say, policing black bodies, um, and this notion that um, that we have to constantly police and monitor and surveil uh, black bodies, um, and uh, uh, yeah, so. Um, and there's just no, you know, that's what I, I find. And this isn't to be um, dismissive. It, it's going to sound this way, so and that's just, you know, I'm sorry. It's just going to sound this way. But I, the the celebratory kind of dances and all of that, um, I I have a problem with those kinds of things in this particular moment that we're in. Um, where people are struggling and just struggling across a host of, you know, issues and adjusting. And and so a video of their teacher or their school, their principal or somebody dancing. um, And I know that this wasn't something that, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing that this is something that they were asked to do and not necessarily that they wanted to do on their own. um, Because this would be, you know great for student, I guess, to make students feel better. I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know. I just don't think that it's necessary for what kids need right now or what families need.
1: I know I know at least one, I know several teachers, I know one teacher who was texting me yesterday who basically said that she worked for about 12 hours um, and has been working about 12 hours per day for the last two weeks, making sure that the ELL students at our school are being followed up with and that materials are getting translated for them. Um, I know another set of teachers who have banded together to provide transportation for students to get um, to get access to the free lunch sites. Um and I, every time I go to a virtual professional development session, um, it's packed. So mm. I think that the thing to keep in mind, like as you balance, you know, the cynicism of seeing teachers, um, you know, dancing on TikTok and being like, "What the heck are you doing?" You know, like what yeah. what, is the, what is the material cost of your labor in this moment? Um, yeah, I think that we're desperate. I think that that for a lot of us um, you learn so many little snippets of your students' stories, you know, and, you know, I worry about some of my students because I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, last time I spoke with you, you know, you were having a big fight with your mom, like, are things cool? You know, like, okay now. Um, And I think that the other thing is, is that for me, I'm really nervous because some of my students are marginalized and, And they're going to still have to take standardized testing next year. Yeah. You know, and I know that for me, I'm just not the kind of educator that would um, make a TikTok of me dancing, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did when I got, you know, cash money over here. um, (laughs) I did debate whether I should send out a picture to my students of cash money, the Corona dog, you know. Um, but then I was like, no, I think if I was going to do something, I should probably just spend more time calling parents. Cause that seems to be, you know, a more effective use of my labor, but yeah, but I'm very cynical. I don't think it's going to cheer anybody up if I, you know, make a happy video of me doing a TikTok. I don't see that, you know, making any of my students days.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like it, it, you know, but maybe I'm cynical. It feels like theater. But no, it the is way. theater.
1: It's trauma theater.
0: It's mm-hmm. trauma theater and um
1: or corona theater. I bet in like 3 <laughs> years that's going to be the term that we use for that. Um but you know, it is what it is. Like I- I'm sure that the graduate student who is going to write a dissertation on TikTok in the time of Corona. Five bucks if that's the title of it. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's going to be called TikTok in the time of Corona. Um, that that's going to be something that they write about, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I don't. I don't. If you're listening, young graduate student, and you had that idea, I'm not being cynical. I mean, I'm being cynical about it, but I'm not saying it's a bad scholarship. I'm saying that. Um. Focusing on technology and on the students you reach via TikTok, as though that's the only aspect of the story, it's the only aspect that leaves a fingerprint on the historical record. There's Mm -hmm. many students who either because of their age, their ability, their uh, language or their financial circumstances, whose struggles are not going to be documented or accessible by focusing on a technological platform like TikTok or Twitter, as we, you know, Look back at this time period and the idea that you're going to address a digital divide, because this is all this is just a, a rinse and repeat of digital divide rhetoric through Wi-Fi hotspots and laptops Mm-mm-mm. is so 90s and still wrong. It was wrong in the 90s. Like <laughs> say, was, say more
0: about that, Maria. Okay. What do you mean it was? it's so 90s?
1: Okay, so in the 90s, um, and if you're really, really interested in this, you want to check out chapter two of my dissertation called Guilty Feet Have Got No Rhythm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, And in that particular section of my dissertation, um, one of the things that I spoke a lot about was this idea of a digital divide. So digital Mm. divide rhetoric, it's this idea that um, people of color, Blacks and Hispanics in particular um are not technological natives, they're not digital natives in the way that we'll talk about. Um, oftentimes they're cast as um, digital users versus innovators. That's the term that you mm-hmm. would see use sometimes. Um, and they're also cast as um, as being unwilling or financially not compliant with um, new technological innovation. Now the reason that this is banana pants, is because one, it's condescending. So yeah. at the time, um, you know, a lot of education studies folks like during the nineties were like, oh, these black and brown parents don't understand how important the digital highway is. That's why they're not letting their kids go online. And it was like, bro, no, the reason they're not letting their kids go online is because da, 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 there was an uptick in um, the number of white supremacist groups in the U S at that time, who are also very avid adopters of, um, Computer-mediated communication technologies, which was the word that they used for internet studies back then. Um, so not letting your kid go online and publish personal identifying information was actually like a savvy privacy
0: thing because...
1: Yeah. It was so new. Here.
0: Nobody knew. Nobody knew. It was so new.
1: and But we do know about the KKK. You
0: know, like,
1: and, and it right. seems like the KKK made sure to have a webpage. So maybe I'm not going to have my kid uh, go on to AOL Instant Messenger or IRC and be like, my name is Timothy. I live in Florida. Right. Here's my social security free. number. You know, yeah. it's a safety concern. But by saying, oh, it's a lack of knowledge about the technology or it's a lack of access to the technology, you can push aside those safety or those those concrete thought out concerns about accessibility and surveillance. OK, yeah. so you can just dismiss it as ignorance as opposed to, to engaging seriously with the safety argument. So then fast forward to this idea that um, communities of color now in African uh, communities of color and black and brown communities outside of the U S are not adopting technology. Be- and you track this by using computers, right? Like who is buying computers, who is buying computers that have internet access. So all this, you know, is like an ongoing thing in the field. How do we get technology into hands of these people of color? How do we get the technology into brown hands? Da, 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 da. So yeah, people keep having this argument until finally someone was like, what does it look like if instead mm-hmm. of tracking laptop purchase or computer purchase we look at cell phone purchase and cell phone access to the internet then boom all of it changes because suddenly instead of being um technological illiterates people of color particularly blacks and latinos in the u.s all of a sudden go to early techno- technology yep. technology
0: and we're gonna maria i have to stop you there yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the like downsides of, of the recording is that sometimes you don't see me now, so and see we are way over like time. A, so we're going at 30 a.m. I am Dr. Night, Dr. Adrian. I'm Dr. Maria. We are Education for Liberation. the We will be back right. next week. And live. thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Every day, every day is breaking me down. I'm going to break ground, so I know that the glory's coming any day, anyway. Uh, I'll make up say, tonight I'm living my life. Gonna let go of what I like. There's a voice inside confining me, defining me. I gotta live.
1: Fame, picture frame, you can't hang with me, cause you're lame. You see, I'm fresh to my last hour, so how to turn the steam when I step out the shower. Gucci for the groupies, Prada, when it's
0: hotter, fifth app shop. I got my dress game proper, but skip that. I gotta keep it positive. Ain't nobody hotter, kid. You know why? I gotta live-